Hello, everyone, and welcome to the United City Greensboro podcast, a church in the heart of Greensboro with a desire to practice the way of Jesus for the renewal of all things. You can learn more about our community at unitedcitygso.com. Enjoy today's teaching. All right, hi. How's everybody? How are you doing? Good. Good morning. Um, my name is Vania. I uh, have the privilege of just being a member here. Amen. Um, <laughs> that's all I do. Um, I'm really glad to be here with you guys. I'm going to be totally honest. Your girl is nervous. I got wiggly legs. Um, so if you see me wiggle, it'll go away in a second. But <laughs> maybe. Um, but I really am glad to just be able to come and talk to you about some things that God has put on my heart. And uh, before we hop into it, let's pray. Yeah, that'll be good. All right, let's have a moment of prayer. Father, you, you know all things. Um, you created all things. You do all things well. So on this morning, would you go before us, prepare our hearts to receive what you might have, um, prepare our minds to change direction from the ways of the world to the way of you. In spirit, would you do it um, by your power? We thank you for this opportunity to gather. Uh, you're good. Amen. All right, so we've been spending some time the last couple weeks talking about what it means to be human or Hayuimen. Um, <laughs> that is exactly how I read it the first time and I'm sticking with it. Um, the last couple weeks we went over uh, that we have a brain, we have a consciousness that separates us from other animals and created beings. Therefore, our consciousness allows us to know our God and worship him. Uh, We also learned that we have freedom, but freedom is not the absence of boundaries, but actually having the right boundaries in place in which we can function and flourish. Um, We also learned that last week from Spencer that our meaning, finding our meaning was not in something out there like, what is my purpose? I don't know what it is. But it's actually through knowing God and serving him. And so this week we're going to talk about community. Humans need community and family to flourish. All right, so sometimes you hear the word flourish and we don't really think about what that is. Kind of sounds like plants um, and outside things that I obviously don't do. Um, But really something that comes alive that really is a holistic way of being that that tends towards ultimate good. So humans, we create groups, uh, societies, tribes, gatherings, but in our sin, that also means we create tribes that are in group and out group. Who's cool? Who's in? Who's out? Who can't be in the group? We also have wars, atom bombs. So all of our genius has a flip side, right? Um, We also create hierarchies of humans, which is weird. Which humans are better? Which ones are worse? Which ones are not invited to the club? But God himself created us to be interdependent, depending on each other for our, not just our survival, but our thriving, for us to flourish, to us to reach that higher good ultimately in God. And so somehow in the enlightened West where we are, which I will now refer to as the West side because um, saying individualistic Western society is too much. The West side, uh, we are still trying to do it on our own. We are just bent on everything has to be proven to ourselves that we are somehow better or capable. Makes us feel good, yeah? So uh, we live in an individualistic culture. 
that values self over others. So um, in The Very Well Mind, which is a health editorial, has this quote, which I will read. In individualistic cultures, people are considered good if they are strong, self-reliant, assertive, and independent. This contrasts with collectivistic cultures where characteristics like being self-sacrificing, dependable, generous, and helpful um, to others are of greater importance. So the crazy thing is, though, we may feel this and know this, uh, we think a radically individualistic culture or society um, is going to give us what we need, but it actually harms us in the long run. So we live in this world that says it's all about you, and then we're like, where's everybody? Where'd they go? It's like, well, it's about you. How you doing? You know, not great. Um, living in the way of the world and not the way of Jesus has led us to experiencing high rates of anxiety, depression, and loneliness. And loneliness in and of itself, we know the measure of how many connected people a person can have can lead over time to their depression or sometimes their suicide. Um, specifically in the States, that's the U.S., because I just heard sometimes us Americans would be like, oh, we're in America, but America is like North and South, so just the States. Anyway, okay, <laughs> so the States, our highest quality of individualism is freedom, um, and that is not at all what the invitation of following Jesus brings. Um, Diedrich Bonhoeffer said, in the Bible, freedom is not something uh, one has for the self, but something one has for others. It is not a possession, but a relationship. And only in relationship with the other am I free. So the Bible speaks to this. Anthropology speaks to this. Psychology speaks to this. All the other ologies speak to this. And yet we're still struggling, struggling to be in community. And so I think, if anything, the last two years, two and a half years, however you mark COVID, um, has taught us that we need family. We know good and well. We need people. It's really hard out here in these streets. So I'm not going to spend time proving to you this morning that you need somebody. But what do we actually do when we get it? I think we don't know how to be in community, how to navigate community, how to be with each other. And so we're actually going to need the word to guide us along in this. So if you would turn with me to Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. I'll give you a second. It'll be on the screen, but you know, some of y'all got Bibles for real. So Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. I say amen when you get there. Oh, for you. I ain't right. All right. Here we go. Verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour one, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. All right. So it opens up. You, my brothers and sisters, you're called to be free. You're like, great. Free, what is that? <laughs> and what am I freed from so that I might be free to do what? There's a question in there. So when you come upon things like this in the Bible, it's good to ask yourself questions like, what is the speaker talking about? What does this word actually mean? Um, so for us, we're going to hop back. Freedom first pops up in the book of Galatians in chapter 2, verse 4. And it's read like this. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. 
Cool, super clear. Um, so really, Paul just drops us off in chapter two in the middle of this debacle. So there is like, there's beef in the streets at the church of Antioch um, between the church of Jerusalem. So in general, Paul actually starts the Galatians letter by saying, hey, this is what God has done in my life. He saved me. I was a Jesus hater. He stopped me on the Damascus road, changed my life, changed my name. I met him myself. My life is completely changed. And now he gave me a ministry to the Gentiles. That's church you speak. Gentiles just mean people who are not Jewish. So people who weren't actually God's people called, now God calls them into his family. And Paul is sent to these people to make sure that they know who Jesus is. But then here go some Jewish Christians coming on down from Jerusalem to the church of Antioch saying, you know what? Mm -mm. These Gentiles, they need to be more Jewish. They need to do more Jewish things. They need to keep the law. They need to get circumcised. They need to be more Jewish so they can be considered God's possession and blessing. So we put a yoke on them. Reverse it. I know y'all just, just believe Jesus and you're free and you're God's possession. You're God's people. But no, here they come with this other weight that says, no, you need to do more, act more, some other laws, some other things to put on your back. Um, but it's crazy here because Paul actually says, when he uses the word freedom, it means liberty. It's the liberty to admit things, omit things that have no relationship to salvation, to stop doing, stop doing stuff, stop doing extra stuff, thinking that it will lead to salvation. And it calls the, the liberty or the way that we're freed from the law, it's a yoke. It's a weight around the neck that is supposed to be weighty and constricting. He basically tells the people to stop lawing. Stop lawing. All right, now, so uh, I'm a brown person who had a brown church experience. And so talking to other people requires some talking back. All right, so here we go. So uh, we do some things called call and response. And so to break it down, so if I were to say, adi, 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 ho. Okay, all right, um, that was fair. Um, but you, you let me finish the whole statement, right? And then you respond. We also have this thing called talking to your neighbor. This is a communal, look to your right. Just look to your right. You see that person? Mm -hmm. Now look to your left. See that other person, right? These people in this service are now on your neighbors. So turn to your neighbor, just pick one. Turn to your neighbor, say, stop lying. Turn to your other neighbor and say, stop lying. You got to stop lying. All right. Now that we're comfortable, for real, you got to stop lying because we pretend that this idea of working for your salvation stops as soon as you come to Jesus. It says Galatians uh, chapter 3, verse uh, 21b, it says, for if the law had been given that, for if the law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But it didn't had to come through Jesus. Jesus is the one who comes to set us free, to stop having to work for our salvation. So you, Christian, person who's put their faith in Christ, is now free, free from having to make yourself righteous, free from having to make yourself whole, free from having to work for God's acceptance by his complete work in Jesus Christ. You are now a child. You are now alive. You are now free. So what does it mean to be free? Like, I don't know. Land of the brave. <laughs> Give me some eagles flying out in <laughs> some, uh, some fighter jets. That's what it means to be free. No, it means to be a new type of person. Freed people have a certain texture or essence. They're different. Scripture would say that they're new creations and that this transformation leads them to be a different type of people. So much of us go like this. We're like, when I was five, if you grew up in the church, I met Jesus. He saved me. 
he, he, he changed me and he raised me. I'm like, fantastic. Some of you later in life, you're like, I was wilding out in these streets. And then God came and snatched me. <laughs> like, amen, hallelujah. We appreciate all the stories. Or some of you are like, I don't really know kind of about this Jesus person, but, you know, someone changed over time. That's amazing. But we seriously still think that that moment is for ourselves. That Jesus saved me, he likes me, he met me, and it's me, me, me. It's really beautiful for your own personal testimony. But the entire time since the beginning of Genesis to Revelations, God has been creating a new people, a new type of people, a group of people that image who he is to the world. So personal testimonies are amazing. They're great. They help us see God in and of ourselves. But the whole entire point is that God can actually image back to this broken world who he is like through a group of people. So that new texture or new way of being, we see in Galatians 5.15, verse 14. Oh, okay, 5, verse 14. <laughs> For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Simple, right? Many of us are used to thinking self-centered, individualistic, or west side, all about us. And the point of actually being recreated is that we're part of God's family. We're in his community and God's church all of a sudden when it's about us becomes optional. We don't know, we don't know how to belong. But I think that our choice to distance ourselves is not always one of like malice. You know, sometimes people get up here and their preacher like, you need to be in a group. You're like, I'm not going. That's what everybody thinks, that's what's happening across the aisle. No one's just like, I'm not going for no reason. Sometimes we don't know how to be a part of something. And God actually invites us to learn how to be a part of a community. And I also think it's a little bit because we don't understand who we are or what God is like. We don't know his nature. So we assume a lot about ourselves and about God's people. And we can't become like someone that we really don't know. So let's start with God. What do we know about God? Uh, we know some simple things, which is nice. Uh, we know that God is eternal, existing, three in one. That the Trinity is defining God as being one in existence and three co-equal, co-eternal, three distinct persons, the God, uh, the God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Cool. We got the Son is God, the Father is God, the Spirit is God. We know that the Son is not the Father, the Father is not the Spirit, the Spirit's not the Son. Simple. No, but bet. Okay, like, it's okay. Like, we get it. We get that's a thing about God. It's a piece of theology high in the sky that God is three in one. But it doesn't really tell us what he's like. It doesn't tell us his essence, his texture. But we can learn from an ancient theologian, uh, John of Damascus. He's um, an old dude. Damascus uh, is in Arabia, so he's an Arabic-speaking Christian. He was a monk. Um, so just random note, people tend to think that Christianity only came to brown people either on the backs of slavery or in the backs of the Crusades. Christianity is so old. It is so old, it's almost considered to be an indigenous religion in the Middle East and in North Africa. So before we go on thinking that Christianity is this, this, this weapon for war, which it has been used for, go back and do our history. This man is in the place before the Arab invasion, meaning he was Christianized, came to know Jesus by other brown people way before he went to Rome. All right. So John of Damascus, uh, he was around the 670s to 740s, and he came up with this really cool, oh, peri means around. <laughs> it means choreo or to come. Um, 
And also nowadays, it's kind of referred to as the divine dance. You know, if you're dancing with somebody and it's really nice, like you're, you're kind of feeding off each other, you're grooving, you know what's happening. If you're like, oh my God, I was Baptist, I never danced. It's okay. <laughs> There's space for you. Um, but the construct in and of itself is that the Godhead lives in a transcendent fellowship. That God himself has a way of being like all three persons embrace each other. That they permeate through each other. They dwell with each other. They have an intimacy of friendship. They actually like each other. There's a relationship, an essence of being that God himself dances around the Godhead. Where we see this in scripture. John 17, where Jesus is praying for believers like us. He asked the Father that they might be one. As you, Father, are in me and I in you, and will you glorify me in your presence, Lord, like I had glory before the world began? There's a lot of really interesting interplay, a lot of really cool things you can go on and be a nerd about in Scripture, but there's mystery enough in the Trinity where you can see that there's reliance, there's submission, there's enjoyment, and there's love. Y'all, they be dancing. They dance around each other. They be grooving. They be listening. They be leaning. They be submitting. There's an enjoyment within the Godhead. So why in the world, if God himself exists in this interwoven relationship, this dance, why are we exempt? But again, I suggest it's not go be in community and dance with each other. <laughs> the question is how. We don't know how to be. When you come to the Lord, we hear all these things like, love your neighbor as you love yourselves. Serve one another and bear each other's burdens. We hear like the list, some like this. Live in harmony with one another, build up one another, be like-minded towards one another, and on and on. You can read the list. But we spent our entire lives being formed by the way of the world. We spent our entire lives learning self-centeredness and the way that the universe revolves around us. So how in the world are we supposed to just switch it? You know, we've been living, singing uh, my favorite song, Don't Judge Me, Y'all, but um, Webby and Lil Boosie's 2008 anthem, Independent. They'd be like, I-N-D-E-P-E-N-D-E-N-T. Yeah, I'm going to stop it. But do you know what that means? They say she got her own house. Her own car. Hallelujah. Two jobs. Work hard. She a bad, stop it. You know what she is? She's tired. She's exhausted. She got two jobs. She is exhausted. I know that, girl. I've been there. Y'all knew that. I was coming here like, hey, who are you? Stop. But that's what we think. Pull up, or, you're, or maybe you're like, I'm going to pull myself by my bootstraps. I don't listen to country, but that's the best I got, okay? <laughs> that's how we think. It's all about us. So we got some unlearning to do and some relearning to do from the world system. So with being taught to love, um, if you don't really connect with either of those examples, I have one from Pete Scazzaro. Um, <laughs> it says, we learn many skills to be competent in our careers and at school. We don't learn, however, the skills necessary to grow into an emotionally mature adult who loves well. Yeah. The Bible is clear about what we are to do. Part of growing into an emotionally mature Christian is learning how to apply practically and effectively the truths we believe. So there are a couple marks, a couple marks that I think that um, God's community here at UCG should be marked by when we think about community. And I think these really allow the Spirit of God to uh, dwell more deeply here and move um, and really for us to reflect this embodied presence of Jesus to the community, yeah? Now, these are distinctly Christian. They're not easy. They take time. They take room. 
So don't leave here feeling like they just gave me another, another yoke to put on. Now I got to go do X, Y, and Z. Uh-uh. We're learning. That's a present participle. Only thing I ever learned in grammar. It's presently changing and moving towards the future, yeah? We start, we learn, we practice. All right. So the text calls us to love one another, um, serve one another humbly in love. First mark, our service should be sacrificial. Um, so serving. We learned early on, like, Jesus came to serve and not be served. And he uh, brought himself lower to the point of a servant. And then Paul is echoing this, like, serve people. Um, but the world also has a call to service. I don't want us to be, like, not, you know, like ignorant of that. It's like, you serve, but for yourself. Like, serve so you don't feel guilty about being born in America. Serve so you don't feel guilty about being in a first world. Serve so you don't feel guilty about whatever privilege or skin color your bank account or your language brings you. And then take a bunch of pictures and tell everybody. <laughs> like, tell everybody that you serve it. <laughs> like, really, even the words call to service is individualistic. It's about you. It's about you. It's a little narcissistic. And it's about elevating the personal profile, which, to be honest, like non-Western collectivistic cultures see that as foreign. Like, that's really weird. But that's what the waters we grew up in. So let's figure out how to detox ourselves, yeah? All right. God calls us to serve in two, two kind of qualifiers there. One's humbly and in love. So let's take the first, humility. Humility, simply put, is uh, without pride. So my home church uh, back in Charlotte would say, pride stands for please recognize I deserve exaltation. <laughs> and he'd be like, ah, you know? It was about some acrostics. I'm telling you, like, you cannot. <laughs> you know, I deserve to be seen. It's about me rather than me just sit up here and tell you, stop being prideful. It's not helpful. When has that ever been helpful? with anything. Like, I don't know how to tie my shoe. Cool. Stop. Trying to tie your shoe. What? Okay. Um, let's talk about how. How can we lay down our pride? The first um, is that humility requires your identity to be rooted in Christ. Why? You need to know in your soul, in your mind, in your heart, that God has done everything necessary for you. And you need to see yourself as God sees you as a child as an heir, as someone he is pleased to give the kingdom to. You need to know it in your bones. It'll change your whole functionality, that you're redeemed and that you're wanted and you're desired by God. It's only from this place that you can actually serve because it changes where the motivation comes from. The work isn't about you anymore. What you think about yourself is no longer the main point. So whether you have a high or a low view of yourself. So if you come in church, you have a low view of yourself, you'd be like, oh, they don't see me. Here I go making the slides and the coffee. And I don't know, they don't ever see me. They don't appreciate me. I'm not, I'm not good like the people with the upfront gifts. Rebuke that. Rebuke it. Because that's not what God says about you. He says you're a child. He says you're wanted. You're redeemed. He's actually inviting you into God's mission to image Jesus back to the world through the small things. So don't let your mind tell you that you're inferior because of what you're doing. So go ahead with fullness. Make that coffee. Change them diapers. Take out that trash. Like that is God's work. You can serve in that humility. Or if you have a high view of yourself on the flip side, 
you smelling yourself. You read your own press. You be checking your Instagram likes every 20 minutes, like, oh my God, they love me. Um, rebuke that too, because you were only saved by grace through faith, which is a gift, not of your works. So pipe down and go take out that trash. Hallelujah. All right. No matter what, or the inferiority or superiority, God wants to meet you in those things and change you to humility. Yeah. Mr. Keller, one of my favorite uh, pastors, um, says this. It's a little bit long, so bear with me. Only the gospel makes us neither self-confident nor self-disdaining. Everyone, both bold and humble. That works itself out in relationships with everyone. The gospel is the only thing that addresses conceit, the vain glory. To the degree I am still functionally earning my worth through performance, still functioning in the works of righteousness, to that degree, I will either be operating out of superiority or inferiority. Why? Because if I am saved by my works, then I can either be confident but not humble or humble but not confident. Apart from the gospel, I will swing back and forth or be one way with some people or another way with others. I don't know that's true of me. So I be tripping sometimes, most of the time. Um, so take it home to yourself. If you're learning how to lay down your pride, ask yourself these questions. Is there a job that is too big for you? Why? Is there a job too small for you? Why? And then check your responses and ask, what might God be saying to me in my response? Secondly, our service should be in love, so humility and love. And so love is not ours to define. It's not just a feeling. Um, you've heard plenty of you know, people talk about how love is all these other things. Um, but love is actually the nature of God, and God's nature is service and sacrificial service. So therefore, our love should cost us something. Our love should be sacrificial. And it's going to cost you uh, control and ownership over your time because love is patient. It's going to cost you a fleshly response to put yourself first because love is kind and it's not self-seeking. It'll cost you your list of I deserves because it doesn't envy and go on and on and on and on and on. Even cost you the false safety of nurturing a grudge. You know, sometimes nurturing a grudge makes you feel good. It's like putting on a blanket. They did me wrong and I'm not forgetting. You know, keep you warm at night. No, it makes you bitter. But love itself keeps no record of wrong. That's what doesn't fail, the love of Christ. That's the first mark. Let's go to the second. Vulnerability. We love it. We love vulnerability. Um, all right, so who here likes going first on things? I'll give you a caveat. If you're in a group of people and they're like, let's go on that roller coaster, um, you're like, mm, yes, Evan, I love it. Or, you know, your group of people and they're like, let's, uh, let's go jump up into the lake. I don't know. Or let's figure out which hot taki is the hottest in the bag. I don't know. But anybody in here is like the first, like you're the daredevil group of friends. Nobody? Wow. Bless. We all some punks. Oh, just one. Okay. That's cool. <laughs> it's okay. I was about to say, that's me too. I'm a punk. I don't, mm -mm. I'm going to let you go out there and jack yourself up. Let's see how... Oh, you, that hurt? Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> but if you're okay, I'd be like, oh, that was nice. Let me try it myself. Like, I let other people go first. I'm going to watch 
and pray. No, I'm just kidding. No, because I just really am committed to not being finessed by nobody but Jesus. Like, I am committed. That is a life motto. No finessment by strangers. Um, <laughs> but uh, vulnerability is nothing like that. Vulnerability actually requires everybody that's involved to lead out. Everybody has to be a leader in vulnerability. I didn't say it was easy, but it's Christian. What we bring into the room sets a tone and a precedent. Again, what we bring into a room sets a tone and a precedent. Your bravery that one night in house church might actually be the avenue in which someone who has been waiting for some brokenness and darkness in their life to finally be brought up and brought to the light of Christ. So our collective decision to be bold and strong and open the door sets the tone for how deep the community can go. It's no one else's job but ours. So this is not just about confession of sin, but actually the sin that affects us in our lives, what other people have wronged us in that still affect us in every way. And God in himself is willing to meet that brokenness and wants and is waiting to touch it. You know, but sometimes we wait for, it's gonna be that moment in worship where like the right song is played and like that's gonna be the moment where I go for prayer and talk about that thing. Sometimes it might be a Tuesday night over tacos, you know, at your house church. If y'all be eating, our house church be eating, but. (laughs) And you finally just talk about the thing that's been on your heart that you ain't told nobody in 15 years or that happened last week and you done journaled about three times and you still not satisfied. Come and talk about it. God has healing for us. James uh, 5, 16 says, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. God has healing for us, but if we're honest, sometimes clinging to our darkness is feel safe or you've been burned before. Especially if you think shame is on the other side of your expression. You think that shame is more guaranteed than grace and rescue. It's a lie. And maybe that's from past experience. Maybe you literally experienced this before. Um, You came to God's people with some stuff that was in a closet under a bed, and you finally brought it to the people, and instead of grace, you were met with um, harm. And that's fair. That's a fair critique. Because I think it's from people who didn't know how to hold space. Because we don't take the time to teach how do we hold space How do we actually walk out in vulnerability? Verse 15 says, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. The word bite here in this instance means to wound the soul, to cut, to lacerate or to devour um, by the affliction of injuries. And it's weird because it almost talks about it over time. Like it's not just like one blow, like boom, they're out. It's like little bit cuts. Boom. And it's like the 75th one that took them out, that devoured them. It says, watch out for that. Um, so let's talk about how we actually hold space. So when someone, whether it's you opening up to that friend or when the tables are flipped and you're opening up and finally bringing it to the light, we're not doing harm. So we need to actually, simple. Number one, there's probably plenty of things we can learn, but skills, learn to listen and learning to hold presence. Sometimes you just need to be present. Don't say 
nothing. That urge for that Jesus juke, well, he works out all things together for the good of those that love God. Be quiet. Like, you're not incorrect, but in this instance, you're wrong. Just make space for confession. Because usually those knee-jerk reactions are about things that we haven't dealt with in ourselves, and we need to try to attempt to make the darkness of this world a little bit dimmer. We need to protect ourselves. Like, oh, that made me uncomfortable, so let me tell them about the Lord. Okay. But it's, again, it's not about you. An example, I had a friend um, go through a really hard personal loss. Like, I think it was almost about a year ago. She called us. We're all like, oh, my God, girl, we coming. So we just, you know, get on the phone, drive there. And she is where she needed to be. It was a death in her life. And she is, like, wailing the whole thing. It's raw. And so we're just like, all right, we're chilling. Like, I'm not going to say nothing. She's in the place of grief that it needs to be. She's crying. She's asking questions. She asks all the big questions. Like, if God knew, like, all the stuff, ain't no answers. There are no answers for that. So we're just going to let her have the space. But then there's this one, one friend, one friend who just had to be like, well, God knows, like, he's going to make it better. You're going to see that person in heaven. I was like, if you please stop talking, like, trying to answer the existential questions that everybody's been asking since millennia, apparently she knows the answer. You know, like, wow, you got it. Nobody else does, but you do. Stop. You are like this person. And she started shutting down, which was the worst. I was like, this person is finally expressing the reality of a broken world before God and community, and all you're doing is shutting it down. Stop. Learn for deep space for things that don't have answers. There is enough room for deep mystery in Christ. We don't need to numb it. We don't need to escape it. We don't need to all of a sudden try to fix it. That's the way of the world. The world wants you to be, oh, there's pain. Um, here's some of this. Oh, there's a, ah, some distraction. Here's this. That's not God. He, God doesn't, which blows my mind, caveat. He does not respond to Job. It's, that junk is like 50, 50 chapters. It is not till like the last six or seven that God responds to Job. His life gets tore up in, like, the first chapter. Like, it's short. It's just like, God decided, boom. <laughs> and then, like, the next 40-some chapters, this man is going through it, and his friends, they're out, they out of pocket. They're all trying to answer him. And God's just like, all right, here I go. It's one dude right before God speaks and says some sense. But are you kidding? Like, 30-some chapters of letting this man wail? This man's in the dirt with his wounds, trying to cut his wounds, like he's going through, his wife said, curse God and die, like this man is not okay mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally, and all he got is his bit of trust from God, and his friends is just trying to stomp on that some more, and you're like, come on, y'all, hold space, hold space, hold space, all right, and when preparing to listen, here's actual skill to apply, again, Pete Scazzaro, ask God to help you be prayerfully present, Ask him to help you receive them as if they were Jesus. Asking, how might Jesus want to come to you through this person? Ask God to clear the noise from your own mind so you can be still enough to enter the speaker's world. So another question we have to ask ourselves is, how can we bear another's burdens if we don't have enough time to be still ourselves? Do you have enough time to be stopped, to be interrupted? Can your one hour coffee catch up that you schedule? And I, I know, I, am not, I got a schedule and I, mm -mm, I don't be messing with it, but do you have enough time for that one hour catch up to turn into two? 
Are you unhurried enough to bump into someone at the Aldi's or, as Spencer would have it, the church and chicken, church's chicken on Randleman Road, uh, y'all pray for him. That's really not an okay establishment <laughs> to go for chicken. Dude, there's like five other spots <laughs> that you can go. Like, Miss Winters is above that. Come on, man. You gotta be better. <laughs> and, <laughs> Um, but do you just have enough time to be stopped to hear someone else's story and hear about how God might be moving? And it's not like that moment like, oh, they, wow, this, this is kismet. Wow, my God, this stopped. And now I get to share the gospel. I need to tell them about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That's great. Um, God might also be wanting to deal with you through this interaction, right? Like how might God be sending some way, someone in your way to engage you in your own stuff? We're so prepared and trained to go and give and tell and not recognize how God might be moving overall. Clear example was me. Back when I was working at Union, I had two jobs. I was working hard. I was a tired person. Um, and I'm just like talking. I was like, God, I'm tired. Like, I, I can't do this no more. This is crazy. I, I'm complaining. You know, I'm like, the money is fine, but I want my sleep. You know, just behind the bar, talking to the Lord in my head. Just complaining. Just, just you know, I mean, it was honest. So just complaining. And then uh, the first hour of every um, day, Union does like a free coffee for people experiencing homelessness, right? So from like seven to eight, people be coming in and get free coffee with their stuff, all that stuff, right? And this one lady who is a regular came in. She was like, I got a job. I got a job. And she had her phone out and she just went on like excited. She was like, I got a job working in a kitchen. I'm working in a kitchen and they pay me $10 an hour. And I was like, Tell me more. <laughs> you know? So she booked the job, and she's like doing the math. You know, like when you first get a job, you'd be like, okay, 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 okay. That's $8 an hour minus taxes. That means my check going to be da, da, da. Like she was doing the whole thing. And she was like, $80, $80 after the week. That's enough to pay for my room at the hotel. And I said, God, stop. I hear you, okay? I've been sitting here complaining about his provision and income. And she is just excited to be in somebody's kitchen and make $80 a week. And I said, okay, okay. But the moment to just stop and let her tell her story with joy and be present, rather than, you know, you could have had a thousand responses, but God was obviously, I could see coming to me, being like, you need to check your heart. Like, this is a moment how I want to help, help cut some things out of your life. Um, God is big enough to use everything and everyone around you to capture your heart and refine you. But you have to be present to do that. So take it home to yourself. Ask yourself a couple of questions. How vulnerable am I with my community? It's not a judgment. Just ask yourself how and why. Why is that? What's your threshold? And where are environments where I can reveal more of myself? And who might... I invite to reveal more of themselves. All right, third and last point. Our mark of this community should be security in God. So this one uh, kind of hits close to my heart, but it's real. The reality, if you're not, you not dancing, you can't take me to the dance. If you're not experiencing God, you'll be empty and you'll use community as a way to fill it. We all long for like a deep place of family, like that's in our soul. 
Like, God put that echo in there. Like, we need connection. We need people. We know all the ologies talk about it. We know what it's like living in a Western world. We don't have it. So we feel that, if we're honest. And it's a good desire. God put it there. But he ultimately put it there to fill it himself. God longs to make a home in us. That process can be very painful because he's going to just come in there, sit on that couch, knock all your stuff out the way, <laughs> redecorate your house and be like, ah, yes, that's, that's the one I want up there. And if you're like me and a control freak, you might pass out um, as he does it. But I promise you, it's the only way to wholeness. It's the only one. Um, and so it's this place where we actually are invaded by Jesus when we are full, that we can be a gift to our community, a gift to our community. There's a, um, there's a saying I have on my phone, like a list of like affirmations, like godly affirmations and redirections. Um, it says, when freed from perception of value or salvation, I am free to love. It just means like when I can walk into a room and I'm not counting on anyone in there to validate me, to make me feel like somebody, or that they might save me because I'm already saved and already validated and already full, then I can come and be a gift. Um, not looking for people to soothe me, fill me or heal me because I've given Christ that space that can actually be present. And when you're present, you can see the souls before you and then love them. If you're full with open hands, then you actually have something to open and share with someone else. Using community for your own gain is your own narcissism. It's feeding that individualism. It's actually being part of a community and actually being able to contribute is the essence of us being together. So when my soul is settled, I can see people or things not uh, defining my value because Jesus already did that. I don't need people to save me. I've already been saved. And when full, I actually become more available to how God might want to move. Um, and I think that's, in essence, what Galatians is talking about, that we are freed by Christ. We're free to know that we're free, then to love freely. And then we can come to community correct. When we're full, we actually can receive the gift of community. Like, community is a gift. Like, I was like, I put all y'all together. He, didn't, he don't do nothing wrong. Like, he, he does all things well. He has good intentions in all things. He's like, bet, put them together. And we're like, oh, my God, this is terrible. Like, that's not the intention of community. Um, when we're free, we actually can be gifts to each other and then a gift to the world. So when you're coming to community for its purity, even when life is hard, even when you're in need, you can do that without the expectation of having reciprocity. Like, I, I got to pay them back. I, I owe them now because they helped me. Or you, you get all weird about stuff. Everybody read about receiving gifts. Work that out with you and the Lord. Like, grace is how you got into the kingdom. Grace. And grace is how you should be experiencing community. Without the need to feel like you owe somebody something. You need to pay it back. Why? Because you're settled on who paid it for you. And you know that they know who paid it for them. So I'm a... Go ahead and close out, and Van, you can come on up. Um, so my simple encouragement to you this morning 
is to be full of God. Like, be full. Go home and rest and receive the freedom God won for you on the cross. From that place, you can serve sacrificially, humbly, and in love. So when we do gather as a community, existing consistently throughout the week, that we actually can like hold space for each other in vulnerability. And that we might move among one another in humility and in love in order for the whole thing so we can show Greensboro, North Carolina, Rolling Roads, part-time Wendover Ave, East, what the kingdom of God is like. Mm-hmm.